I'm not sure how much help I'm going to be here. Dear God. He did this himself in his own blood? Is it possible? This is a message your grandfather left you. He left us. Might be some kind of anagram. Can you break it? Demons, omens, codes, monks. Da Vinci. Hello, I'm Carolyn Valley. Welcome to New Favorite Movie, the podcast where I put my movie knowledge to the test. Every week I invite a guest on to talk about their favorite movie, and based on what they pick, I suggest a movie that they've never seen. In the end, we see if my recommendation was successful. This week, I'm joined once again by my sister, Kate Valley. Kate, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. So, since the first and second time that you were on the show, there have been a few life-changing moments for you. Uh, I am, of course, talking about the fact that you've moved back into mom's basement Mm -hmm. uh, and you quit your job. So you're now unemployed. I wouldn't say quit my job. I'm still technically employed. You've left your job. So you're (laughs) you're unemployed living in mom's basement. So the roles have been reversed somewhat. I am, of course, talking about the fact that you have a new baby. My second favorite niece, Briar, until she can start talking and be interesting. Uh, She'll never listen to this. I was going to say, she at least sits and watches soccer with you. I don't think Dakota does. Yeah, but Dakota watches F1 racing, so it's a bit of a toss-up at this point. Okay. It's a bit of a toss-up. But I guess, like, the first thing I'd, I'd like to know is sort of, like, obviously, she's brand new. You guys haven't necessarily like, sat down and watched a movie with her. But has she been around for watching movies? Like, are you, or is she just all-consuming? She is a bit all-consuming, um, but she does sit and watch movies. Like you said, I'm not working, so I tend to have movies or TV shows on the TV pretty much all day now, just to give me a bit of background noise. So she has definitely seen some Disney movies already. Seen is, I would say, a generous term, maybe. She's, in she's the, around. She's in the room when she's, they're on. She's in the room. She's not paying attention. <laughs> um, but so there's been some Disney movies um, and I think even Lord of the Rings. I think she was around when Chris and I watched the first Lord of the Rings before we went to Ireland. So before he recorded. The infamous yes. podcast about Lord of the Rings <laughs> yes. at this point. The two of them loaded out of their yeah. minds. But okay. <laughs> Have you and Chris talked about movies that you will eventually want her to like sit down and watch as she gets older yeah so top of the list is harry potter we're waiting until she's a little bit older where she can kind of sit even though she won't know what's happening if she can kind of sit quietly for a longer chunk of time uh harry potter is definitely on the list disney movies we played music i played music for her when she was still in my um my womb um and disney music was one that i always played so we do find disney music does chill her out which is great star wars and lord of the rings and some of the big franchise movies are definitely on the on the cards once she can sit still for (laughs) some length of time can can i bring some over to the table can i add some to the table sure what's what's your picks well i think she needs to know about the movies of like the cultures that she came from so i think like great canadian movies um so like things like david cronenberg's body horror anton egoian's like erotic thrillers 
stuff like that. It's like, this is Canadian cinema. Okay. I, I would like to, you know, she needs to know where she comes from. Any particular Irish or Scottish ones that you would recommend for her? Uh, Scottish probably train spotting. She needs to know what Scotland's like. Okay. You know, everybody over there is heroin addicts. Sure. Um, we don't have Scottish family, so I'm, no. I'm okay in saying that I feel safe. Uh, for the Irish stuff, I don't know, but, uh, we, we come up with some Irish movies. Uh, I think she needs to, she'll need to know and quickly fall in love with Steven, the Irish character from Braveheart, because he's clearly the best character in that movie. Yeah. Um, so, you know. That is a prerequisite to be a family member at this point. She has sat and watched Dairy Girls because the latest season of Dairy Girls has come on Netflix for us. And so she was in the room when me and mum were watching that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. So That's pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I can't complain with that. Dairy Girls is pretty funny. So um, I don't think either of the movies that we talked about or we're going to talk about today are going to be at the top of your list for Briar's watching. But we can sort of move on into them and so if you would like to introduce the movie that you've brought to the table and then give a brief plot description for anyone who hasn't seen it okay so i have brought the robert langdon series so da vinci code angels and demons and inferno um we are pretty well going to talk about the first two because we have agreed that the third one is off like garbage it's unwatchable it <laughs> so, is so dumb it is so dumb so this is the only time it's really going to be talked about so the series follows this character character robert who is a symbologist not a real job which the first Ma time i watched completely it completely made up yeah first time i watched it was heartbreaking i did look up look into that and tried to see if i could take that in university because i the idea of it was great to me, but he's a symbologist. There is a murder in the Louvre and he gets called in because of the symbols around the murder to help solve it. He then travels around Europe for a little bit to various countries to help solve this murder. And he just kind of gets thrown into this world where there's conspiracy and religion and yeah. Well, yeah. So you're, you're, <laughs> it's, it's very sort of like, you know, let's take a look at the myths of yeah. the Catholic religion. Let's take a look at the stories of the Catholic religion. And, you know, Robert, or not, sorry, not Robert Langdon, uh, Dan Brown, the author, mm -hmm. sort of injects a murder mystery plot into, you know, these myths and fables and uh, secrets and rumors and whatever else you want to add in. Um, the first movie came out in 2006. So you'd probably been... 11 12 13 and around 13. that time yeah do you did you watch the movie first and then go back to the book or had you read the book first and then watch the movie i think i read the book first i was trying to remember so i remember reading the book when i went to africa and i would have gone to africa when i was about 15 i think 15 or 16 um but i would have known about dan brown Dad is a huge lover of him. Yeah. So I would have talked to dad about the books and he would have told me about them. And like I said, I went to Africa and I was like, well, this was before we really had cell phones that could kind of be used anywhere. So I was like, well, I'll bring a book. And I loved that Da Vinci Code was a big book. I was like, perfect. Gives me tons of time to read it. And I got through the book and was just 
loved the conspiracy theories of it. The exploring of the Templar Knights was interesting to me. The exploring of the Catholic Church, because at this point I was kind of had started to question the Catholic Church. Like we were raised Catholic, but about this stage in my life, I was kind of being like, I have, I have a question. I have questions, yeah. like yeah. things like that. And so I think then I would have come home and would have watched the movie and subsequently then read most of his books. I remember you and dad both sort of being very taken by the series and, you know, swapping books back and forth and like, oh, the new book's out. And one of you would buy it and quickly read it and give it to the other. I, I remember all that. Uh, I didn't care about any of these books. No. Uh, so I didn't read a single one of them. So I think like the first thing I would like to know is like book to movie, what was better? What was sort of more engaging? What did you enjoy more? Do you think one did something better than the other? Uh, just sort of what are your thoughts on book versus movie, especially for this first one? So what's interesting is in the movie franchise, they did this one first and then Angels and Demons second. In the books, Angels and Demons is actually a prequel to Da Vinci Code. So you do kind of miss out. I think in Angels and Demons, they did a better job at explaining Robert and a bit more of like his backstory. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in the Angels and Demons movie, it's not a prequel movie. It is no, a sequel. It's a sequel it movie. It happens yeah. after the event. Yeah, so yeah, they so they've up... had to change that. Yeah. So you kind of miss out a little bit, I think, of his backstory. I would always be a lover of books over movies. I don't think movies ever truly capture all of the book because they just can't. Um, if they did, all movies would be three, four hours long. And that's not watchable for most people. So, yeah, I would go with the book. I'm now, it's been years since I've read the book. It's not one that I go back to and reread. Um, but after watching the movies the past couple days, I I might try to. But yeah, I think the books just get to explore a little bit more of the history um, they kind of do really quick histories of the Templar Knights and the time period. Not that Robertson, but that the story kind of starts, like all the conspiracy starts in. I think with the with the first movie specifically, like we, we can briefly touch on the sequels later on. But with the first movie, there are obviously flaws. There are obviously things in the movie that don't make sense. They're a little baffling or whatever. But I'd say the first movie is like fairly engaging because of the murder mystery plot where like this thing starts off with a murder and we are now off to the races and we're trying to solve it and along the way there are lots of puzzles there are lots of clues that Robert and um I can't remember the uh, the the woman's name uh, um, Sophie Sophie Navo yeah kind of yeah uh, Audrey Tattoo, who great French actress, but uh, that they have to solve along the way and they have to figure out. And, you know, like you're saying, they sort of weave themselves throughout France and England and whatever else. Um, at its very best, I would say that these movies are like just really fun, like scavenger hunts. Uh, and so do you find that like these types of movies are just a bit more engaging for you because you get to sort of participate in the solving? Yeah. I do remember, especially this past time rewatching them, it's fun to see the wheels turning in their head. You can see Robert and her kind of being like, okay, well, this is what the clue said. Oh, but that's not what it means. It means this. So at one point in the movie, they there's a clue and a line in it is a pope. 
And so there's there being like, well, like a pope wouldn't have done this. Like he would have been on the opposite side of this war and things like that. And then it's, oh no, it's a pope, Alexander Pope. They misread and misinterpreted the clue and things. So it's fun to see that because I'm then sitting there being like, well, like, oh yeah, that's that makes sense. I wouldn't have thought of it that way. I would have thought of it the way that they originally did. So it is fun. I do sit and try and solve some of the puzzles and things. Um, so at one point there's a cryptex and it's a five letter word. And I'm sitting there being like, oh, well, like, what could it be? Like, what, what would make sense in the story and things? And when she says, I think there's 12 million possibilities, then you're sitting there being like, who knows what it could be? Like, <laughs> I, you got to your best guessing with them. <laughs> I have I have notes on both those things that you just said, but we we'll, we can get to those at the very end because this is the part of the podcast where it's about the things that you like about these movies. So we'll <laughs> we'll stick with those. Do you, do you have a favorite puzzle or reveal uh, in I guess in any of the movies, but in in the first one specifically? The my favorite reveal is probably at the end of the movie once they think they've solved it. He goes back to his hotel room and he cuts himself shaving, I think, and he sees the blood go down the sink and he's like, wait, and you can see the light bulb go off and he goes and looks at his book and then he goes back through the, uh, through Paris and follows a path and then just the reveal down and you see the sarcophagus and stuff. Every time I'm just like, oh, it gives me a bit of chills. With that specifically, because I rewatched that scene this morning, again, like I guess it light bulb in my head as well went off where I was sort of like, oh, like this is what makes Ron Howard as a filmmaker so effective. And so Ron Howard directed all three of these movies. Uh, and I would say like he's been accused of, but also celebrated for being just like a safe pair of hands. Like you get him to direct your movie, you know it's going to be like, it's going to be fine. You know what I mean? It's a solid movie. It's a solid movie. You're not going to get, he's not going to do anything sort of stylistically outrageous or push the envelope in a certain way, but he's also not going to, um, I guess the thing that they're probably, the studios are probably most concerned about is that he's not going to go over budget and he's not going to be, um, take too long to make these movies. He's just going to make them very efficiently. Right. And so that's led to like a really long career for him. And oftentimes I find with him is that he's only as good as the material that he has. Like he doesn't elevate anything, but he also doesn't sort of drag things down. Mm-hmm. And so with this first movie and, and we will get into it with the sequels, like this is definitely the best story. I think of the three movies. Yeah. Angels and demons is a little bit worse. Inferno is horrific. Um, but that last scene specifically, watching the clip on YouTube today, I was like, oh, this is what makes him so effective because he just knows and he understands like filmmaking language where he's like, I need to do this and then I need to do this and then the music will come in and then Tom Hanks will look like this and then I'll move the camera like that and it'll all come together. And you're like, yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it totally does. Like, yeah. I cannot deny that the last five minutes of this movie where he does the final reveal and he, you know, he does all that sort of stuff that you are watching and you're just like, God damn, like this is. There's the voiceover of the clue and they're showing you. It's all so simple. It's all so simple. It's all like to say it's, it's filmmaking by numbers would be, you know, a little disparaging of it, but it is like nine out of 10 directors would fuck that up. Yeah. And he comes in and he's just like, no, this is exactly what we need. 
right here and you know this is what people are going to want to see this, and it's it's gonna and i'm gonna end the movie right there yeah and as soon as i end the movie people will be like oh my god and like they'll leave the movie theaters happy and it's like that's exactly what ron howard delivers yeah and you know to get to that point is it a little nonsensical yeah of course it is. it's the da vinci code but at the same time as a movie experience you can't deny that he's sort of just like, yeah, okay, like that—that that was good. That was good. That, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we went off on a high. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that that last scene specifically is sort of like, I, I get it. I understand why that would be one of your favorite reveals. So it's also now I've done a Europe trip with our cousin Clara, and we were in Paris. And one of my things when we were in Paris is I want to see that scene where you see the glass di- or the glass pyramid and then the other one. And so we were going to go into the Louvre and the line was too long. And we ended up going into the shopping center that's attached to the Louvre. And sure enough, we turn a corner and it's there. And I must have freaked out. Clara didn't know what was happening. <laughs> but I got so excited because it was one of those things that like, I didn't think I would get to see it because I didn't want to pay the admission price. And kind of being like, oh, it's not actually in the Louvre, it's in the shopping center. But the way that they shot the movie, you totally think it's there. So that was really fun. And then when they're in Rosalind Chapel, a little bit earlier in the movie, which is in Scotland, me and mum went to Scotland and that was one of the places I wanted to see. And sure enough, we did. And so once again, it was fun to see these places in real life. Because when I was on this podcast earlier, it was Harry Potter which is very much of a fantasy world. You don't get really to see the real place. Um, now you can because they've turned a studio into it. But it's fun to see these real life places in real life. <laughs> I, I've also been to Paris and I thought about going to the Louvre. And I think this movie was sort of like, no, nah, I don't need to see that. <laughs> like, I don't know. Been there, done that. <laughs> been there, done that. I've seen the movie. What else am I going to get out of it? So I, I did not go to the Louvre. Uh, that is one of the reasons that we are two very different people. The star of these movies, Tom Hanks, is Robert Langdon. Like, how do you feel with Tom Hanks as a movie star? Is he a reason to go see a movie for you? Um, or does he just sort of pop up in these movies and you're just sort of like, okay, great, I could hang out with Tom Hanks for, you know, X number of hours? I would kind of argue for my generation, Tom Hanks is like one of our movie people. He seems to kind of always be in the movies that like kind of almost defined our childhood or like our youth. So the fact that he's in Toy Story, the fact that he's in Polar Express, he's in movies that I remember watching when I was younger. Like, yes, if he comes out with a new movie, maybe I don't go see it in theaters now because I have Briar. But it's definitely one that I would keep in the back of my head of, no, I need to check this out because he also just makes solid movies. I don't think I'm ever really disappointed with any of his. How do you rate his performance as Robert Langdon? Is he, as somebody who's read the books, even though you read the books potentially after or before the movie, like, you know what I mean? Like the movies and the books weren't necessarily in order. Was he who you pictured? Did he capture the spirit of the character? I think so. The first two, especially, I found the time between the second and the third one almost too long. So when I rewatched it, I was kind of like, I don't see you as Robert anymore. Like, I think I see you as your other characters now. He got maybe too influenced by other roles that now he's done. But, you know, he's definitely kind of 
from what I remember, he fit the description in my head when I read the books. It's not his fault, but I think the hair is unforgivable. In the last one? <laughs> well, just in all three of them. Oh, okay. his, his haircut in all three movies is brutal. <laughs> I don't know who thought that was a good idea. But I, I think much like Ron Howard, um, Tom Tom Hanks is a better actor than Ron Howard is a better than Ron Howard is a filmmaker. But I would say in these movies, Tom Hanks is very like steady. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's probably not a career highlight performance or character that he puts in, but at the same time, it's like nowhere near as bad as some other movies that I have seen him in, where it's like, no, this is just solid, solid. yeah, steady. Um, and I think like it's a pretty safe role. Like again, I I find like the Robert Langdon character, and maybe it's, this is just how the movies portray him. Um, and maybe I should go back and read the books, but I find that he like basically shows up, is presented a puzzle or a mystery, uh, thinks about it for a couple minutes, decides on an answer. They follow that answer to whatever end that answer gets them to. And then sometimes it's the right way. And sometimes he's like, Oh no, I miss, I misread it. It's actually this thing over here. And then they course correct. And I find that like, that's what like Hanks's performance in these movies are. We sort of just like, he shows up, asks questions for a couple of minutes and then is like, Oh, I've got the answer. And then they move on to yeah. the next scene. And so it's sort of like, you know, they're not asking him to do too much, but I think with a lesser actor in this role, it would be very forgettable. Yeah. With Tom Hanks in the role, you're sort of like, Oh no, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Yeah. I'll, I'll see where the next thing is and the next thing and the next thing. So I think it works. So like you said earlier, you alluded to earlier, this, the series definitely upset a few people around the world uh when the books and the movies were coming out like you said it sort of coincided with the moment in your life where you were maybe starting to question religion and question the catholic church was there a scene or a moment in these movies that sort of tipped the scales for you that sort of said to you like oh maybe i need to reevaluate everything i had been learning in school to that point yes and no it was probably more my life experience that influenced more of the movie um so i just had in grade eight there was an incident with a priest at our school during confession um and that kind of was the start of me being like what is this church why like if you were supposed to be all accepting and everybody's welcome here like it didn't seem like that at the time and so then watching this movie and kind of seeing their portrayal and obviously conspiracies and things like that of how Mary Magdalene had been treated by the church and then later on how just women in general, because they explain their the version of the witch trials, that it was just smart women, outspoken women, who the church was like, nope, you're dangerous now. We're going to set you on fire or drown you. Then I was kind of like, oh, like, once again, this church isn't that welcoming. <laughs> um, so it was probably more my life experience being like, oh no, this kind of makes sense. So yeah, and then more in Angels and Demons because they're exploring religion again and that it's set around the time that they're electing a new pope. The only thing I really found of interest on in that was the system that they go through on electing a pope. I remember watching the past two popes being elected and just kind of you sit there and you're waiting for smoke to appear in a stack and just kind of waiting and just the 
the politics behind all of it and their electing and things like that? It was probably a little bit similar timing for me. Um, I I do remember the like the Last Supper dissection scene in this movie where I that was probably the first not maybe not the first moment but one of the first moments where I was like, oh there there might be some holes in this story that I'd been told a mm-hmm. hundred times throughout my life that like oh maybe I should need to explore that a little bit and like ultimately now. I look back at that scene, I'm sort of like, oh, this is all nonsense. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it was maybe that first thing where I was like, oh, maybe I need to explore this this thought a little bit more. And, and you know, let's unravel this and see where things lead. And then you, you find it. Yeah. And like, when they explain nothing there, when they are talking about the Council of Nicaea and how that's kind of where they decided jesus's birthday and that he was going to be born on christmas day which is actually related to i think they said a pagan date um and that that's how they that's how they created the bible and various other gospels and things like that so i think we can start wrapping up on the da vinci code we can start moving on to angels and demons and inferno for how very little we have to say about those two the one thing i need to say about the da vinci code is that like some of the puzzles Come the fuck on. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, so <laughs> you brought up the crypt text and in the movie, I get it. Like, it's a cool little puzzle box that you need to solve. You need to figure out. As soon as they realize that it's related to Isaac Newton. Yeah. How is your first guess not a fucking apple? <laughs> like, come on. Seriously. This guy is supposed to be the greatest symbologist in the world. And his first guess is not Apple. It's a five-letter word about an orb, and it's Isaac Newton. Like, my God, I could probably show this to Briar tomorrow, and Briar's first word would probably be Apple. Apple. And she would figure it out. So, like, I get it as, as you know, if that had happened, the movie would be 35 minutes long. Yeah. Like, I get it. There, there would be no movie if things like this didn't happen. But it's sort of like, Jesus Christ, like, come on. Like, the movie literally in the reveal scene, because I watched this scene again today, because I was like, do they actually do this? And then I, I went back and I watched it, and I was like, oh, yeah, they do. They literally spell it out. They literally spell out A-P-P-L-E. Yeah. As if you didn't know that Apple was a five-letter word to begin with. And so it's like, oh, you're literally spelling out the, the answer to the clue. I will say, and it's probably, maybe it was Ron Howard. It must have been Ron Howard's kind of vision for it all. When Robert is trying to figure it out, they're now not standing in front of Isaac Newton's tomb in the chapel. But you get the flashes of it kind of on the scene. That is also one... I love that scene because, once again, you kind of are in Robert's mind. Him being like, okay, well, like, what was there? And him thinking about it and stuff. Yes, Apple is probably the obvious choice. But, like you said, if... They had just put in Apple once they got the that clue, the movie would be over before it really started. <laughs> the the other the other one, it and it's not to pick on this one specifically, but you you brought it up and so it sort of flashed something in my memory. And and I find we can move on to Angels and Demons because I find uh Angels and Demons starts to go down this route maybe a little bit more than the Da Vinci Code does. Um and then Inferno goes down this route one hundred percent. Is that the thing with like a Pope? And suddenly they start thinking of, you know, all the 
that they do and then they go down that line of thought and and you know eventually they reach a dead end and then they come back and they're like oh that's not what that was it was actually this yeah i find that this series sort of relies on that a little bit too much where they're sort of like they read a clue and the first answer that they come up with they say okay that's that's the answer and then they they follow that answer and then they're like oh no i made a mistake and then they come back and I find that Angels and Demons does that way more as sort of a just like, we need to make this story longer. Like there's actually not enough yeah. story here. So we need to make it longer. So, you know, these world renowned puzzle solvers and symbologists <laughs> need to make, you know, basic mistakes so that we can have a story. And so I think like Angels and Demons, I think you could totally watch it and still get the same sense of entertainment and satisfaction that you do with the da vinci code but i for me that's where the it starts to shift the balance starts to shift into like this is absurd this is you know yeah this is kind of silly where then inferno just like completely goes you know oh this is they have nothing like this is crazy yeah so thinking of angels and demons and that the one that like kind of jumped into my head when you were talking is one of the lines in the puzzle i think the original puzzle is like across rome and so he's like oh okay just like around rome and then once they start to plot the churches that they go to it is literally a cross and he's like oh that makes so much sense like this is where come on (laughs) this is where i have to go next so (laughs) i will i will say for for Angels and Demons, um, it's maybe it's maybe more because of the times that we live in and what we've just gone through. But the whole uh, focus on like faith and religion, faith versus religion, um, or sorry, I mean science, faith, faith, faith and, science. and science, faith, faith versus science. Like that is quite interesting. That is quite compelling. You know, the mystery is maybe not as sharp or as as big of a a deal in this movie like i don't know i find that like the mystery in in the da vinci code is maybe a bit more compelling um but yeah what do you, how do you how do you feel about about that sort of balance in angels and demons so in angels and demons the book explores that a lot more and i'm remembering that about the book i think it's one the scientist at the beginning um who whose eye gets cut out they explore him a lot more and they explore the Pope who was murdered, um, his relationship between faith and science a lot more. And I was disappointed in the movie that they don't explore that because like you said, that is the biggest thing in this one. Everything and all of the clues are relation are have a relationship between science and the elements in the world and religion and they just didn't explore that well enough for me and once again some of the things then kind of become obvious so like one of the churches that they go to is at the first churches literally translate to like the earth's table and they're like oh my god (laughs) so (laughs) yeah yeah like there are some issues (laughs) i think one of the things that and maybe this is definitely more a fault of the movie than of the source material. But if you cast Ewan McGregor 
to be in your movie. I'm going to assume he's got a bigger thing to do than just be this like side character who shows up for a couple scenes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he sort of having him in the movie deflates the mystery because you're sort of like, well, he must be behind it because he's done something. He's the second biggest actor in this yeah. movie. So like, he's not going to take a nothing role at this stage in his career. It's like, he must be involved somehow. And so when you eventually find out how he is involved, you're sort of like, yeah, of course he was behind the whole thing. I will say it surprised me. I think the first time I watched it, because I was not a big movie person. You probably so didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. Yeah. So for me, he was just there. <laughs> uh, for somebody now, or people who watch it now, knowing who he is and knowing, like, you would just see it and be like, well, he's got to have a bigger role. Like, But yeah. for me at the time, I was just like, oh, cool. He's just another guy on screen. <laughs> and then with Inferno... Which, like, borderline unwatchable. I was going to say, it's going to be one question, right? It's pretty stupid. Um, I think, I don't really know if I have a question necessarily, but I do think, like, you already said, like, there was a big gap. I think there was, like, nine, like, seven or eight years, maybe more. So, 2009, Angels and Demons came out. Inferno came out in 2016. Okay, so seven years. Yeah. I think by this stage, any popularity that the Da Vinci Code had was just gone. And, like, they just should never have made this movie. Yeah. I think they were trying to recapture or, like, restart a trilogy. I think 2016 is kind of the start of studios going back and almost remaking things. Because they don't have new material to do. So, okay, well, we might as well do something that we've done before. That was successful before. Maybe we get a new audience now. So, I think they tried to do it. It just wasn't very good. The only thing I will say about rewatching it is it's all about somebody releasing a plague and trying to get rid of half of the world's population, which watching it post-COVID, or if we're still in COVID, I don't know anymore, was a little bit eerie, because I was just like, ooh, like, this is essentially what's just happened to the world. <laughs> so. I understand that. I, I, I hear where you're coming from with that. For me, that is one of the big problems certainly with this series and maybe just like sequels in general is that they feel this need to always go bigger and bigger and bigger than the last movie. And so like re watching some scenes and rereading some stuff for Inferno, I was sort of struck by the fact that like, Oh, we've come a long way from the Da Vinci code, which is simply like, I understand the Da Vinci code, the like secret at the heart of it, the whole conspiracy at the heart of the story could potentially topple the Catholic Church. I get that. Like, that's a big deal. The secret, though, is just, did Jesus have a kid? Yeah. Like, that's lit that's basically the, the question. Like, what? Like, yeah. And then if, if he did have a kid, what happened? Yeah. Like, that's kind of the basic question. The thing at the heart of Inferno is that half the world's population is going to be murdered. Yeah. Like, the scale has just jumped. <laughs> <laughs> sort of exponentially like it is it's gone sort of way out of whack and like i don't know like the the fact that again robert langdon this world-renowned art puzzle solver is the one who could be like yeah i can save half the world's population is sort of like what like really this is where we are now like well, this is what we're doing they tried to almost make him more not more human more average in inferno by taking away his memory so, yeah. like, he doesn't remember 48 hours of his life. So now he's trying to play catch up. And I was kind of just like, 
but why? Like, yeah. are you trying to make us think that he's the bad guy and he's going to do it? Because, like, I'm not thinking that. <laughs> there, there were so many questions with that movie. And, and I don't necessarily feel the need or, or want to re-examine or, okay. or go back and, and do anything more with that movie. Because, oh, my God, it was really bad. Um, I think that the the like closest comparisons to these movies, I couldn't necessarily give them to you because you've watched them. And I think we both enjoy them is the national treasure movies. You, well, I, you enjoy national treasure. I enjoy the first one. I'm surprised. I did not think you would enjoy those. Well, I I enjoy the first one in much the same way that I can enjoy the first Da Vinci Code. It's sort of like, I get it. This is pretty dumb, but at the same time, they're not, I find the National Treasure is better at this than the Da Vinci Code, but like they don't take themselves that seriously. True. Like, you know what I mean? Like the National Treasure movies, there is enough comedy. There is enough about the performances and the directions where they're like, this is ridiculous. We know that this story is dumb. Yeah. But like, we're doing it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, (laughs) how far now are you going to push this? And so I just find that Especially with the first, it's been a long time since I saw the second one, so I actually don't want to speak on that one. But with the first one, where I was sort of like, "Okay, are, are you going to go further? Are you going to?" And like they just did. They every single time, where he's like, "Yeah, it's going to be the Declaration of Independence." Then we're going to the Liberty Bell. That you know, sort of like, "Okay, cool." Like, yeah, how far are you guys going to go with this? Yeah. And so I, I just, you know, you can have they're kind of like dumb Indiana Jones movies. Once again. The first one for National Treasure is better than the second. Oh, easily. I am interested to see Disney Plus is coming out with National Treasure as a TV show in the next six months, I think. So I'm interested to watch it and kind of see. Does it star Nicolas Cage? I don't know, actually. I haven't looked into the cast. I just know that it's there because I keep seeing the poster every time I go into the app. Um, But I'm interested to see what major storyline they're going to do because with the movies you have two hours to start the mystery and solve the mystery now they're going to have a few like episodes or seasons to do so i'm interested to see it if it doesn't start nicholas cage you're not watching uninterested very uninterested there was a robert langdon tv series um that came out i think a year or two ago and lasted 10 episodes before they canceled it but it did not start tom hanks so like again uninterested oh that's why i missed that one then (laughs) yeah so yeah like i don't know that's our last sort of last of my thoughts anyways on the da vinci code and last things i want to necessarily say but i think like i think they get progressively worse which i think you would agree with yep i think the first one is definitely the strongest the second one is sort of like so so and then the third one's downright bad but i do think like you know you can enjoy them for what they are I think the first one definitely has enough. I don't want to say that the story is strong because I don't think that the story is actually that strong. <laughs> but I think that the first one, the story is compelling enough and the mystery is compelling yes. enough that when you let somebody like Ron Howard and Tom Hanks in there and do their thing, you're like, oh, this this is good. Like I can, this is two hours worthwhile. Yeah, I think the first two, if you sit down, you won't stop it halfway. I don't think people would leave within 20 minutes of it or whatever. I think it keeps you engaged enough that you will sit there for the two hour plus that they are because you want to see how the mysteries unfold. The third one... <laughs> just just don't bother. The third one, don't bother really. I think I watched it because I was like, if I'm going to watch one, I will tend to watch all three. 
Um, but uh, the third one I did start to like tidy up and put clothes away and it was kind of more background noise. Whereas the first two I actually made sure I sat and watched and if I needed to pause to do something, I paused it and did my thing and then came back and watched it. So is that how the books play out as well? Like I understand that the first book is actually angels and demons, but like is the Da Vinci code, the best book then angels and demons then Inferno. So my favorite book actually is digital fortress, which they didn't do as a movie. And it follows more like it's more cyber um, and internet and things like that. And so they follow, I think it's set actually in the States and that's probably why they didn't do it as a movie because they wanted to kind of differentiate national treasure and this and Robert Langdon's very much Europe and Nicolas Cage is <laughs> the States. But yeah, no, Digital Fortress is probably my favorite book. I don't know if I'm ever going to check them out. I don't, <laughs> you probably will. I don't think I'm ever going to read these books, but you know, I, I'm happy that you enjoy them, and I'm happy that lots of people enjoy them. Like they, even Inferno, which we both agree with, is not very good. Like, is a moderate hit at the box office. So people obviously enjoy these movies. They obviously love going to see them. Um, I think the Da Vinci Code is still in the top 100 grossing movies ever. So like, you know, they're a big deal. They're yeah. they're a big success. So. Uh, we can move on to my recommendation for you. And so I did give you an option of movies to watch because one was a bit trickier, I think, to track down than the other one. And so the movie that I think was probably a better one-to-one -one comparison was In the Name of the Rose, which is a Sean Connery movie where he plays a priest who investigates a murder at, I think, like a convent or something. I don't really know what it is. Um, but you have a anti-pre-1990s movie opinion so uh that was that was out and so the movie that you did watch was gosford park which has nothing to do with religion <laughs> and nothing to do with symbols but is a murder mystery so we will be back in a minute talking about gosford park Mr. Weissman, yes. tell us about the film you're going to make. It's a detective story. Uh, murder in the middle of the night, a lot of guests for the weekend, everyone's a suspect. And who turns out to have done it? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you that. It, it would spoil it for you. It would none of us see it. <laughs> Why would anyone want to kill him? Well, it wasn't exactly Father Christmas. <laughs> I think he's got something to hide, that one. Do you think he's a murderer? It's worse than that. He's an actor. It's about that low bullet that nearly killed him that morning they were out. Sir, we haven't dusted those things for fingerprints yet. Hmm? Good. All right, so we are back and we have watched Gosford Park. So the first thing, Kate, I need you to do is give a brief plot description for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. So it's set in the 1930s uh, in England. It's basically, I think there's 12 people who go to a country house for a weekend of shooting pheasants. And at the end of the weekend, there's a murder. And they very quickly solve the murder in this movie, which surprised me. Um, but yeah, so the cast in this one is unreal. The trailer, I watched the trailer to decide and they just started listing off people. And I was just like, oh my God, they're in it that person's in it because just all of the British big names are in this movie. We, we'll, we'll list them out. <laughs> but basically, if you've watched sort of any British drama in the last 40 years, 
that person's in this movie. Yeah. So, you know, any any anyone that you can think of, they're probably here. Yeah. We will list them out in a minute. But the first, like, I would like to know, did you enjoy Gosford Park? I did. I'm interested to see why it's your recommendation to me. I don't feel like it had the same themes as Da Vinci Code, other than there's a murder. So if that's your thing that ties the two, okay. But I thought there would be a few more kind of overarching themes in it. I did enjoy it. I have seen Downton Abbey, and Downton Abbey TV show is one of my favorites. It reminded me of Downton, and then when I looked into it a little bit more, it's because it's written by the same person. So that makes sense. Uh, that was basically the recommendation. <laughs> so when I gave you the the two movies, and like really like... You know, there are a couple others I guess I could have maybe thought about as well. But I was sort of like, okay, I'll give her In the Name of the Rose, which will be a pretty good, I think, one-to-one comparison. It'll be about religion and, and murder mysteries and things like that. When that proved to be a bit trickier to find so that you would be able to watch it, I was like, okay, the backup will just be Gosford Park, which is just more... It's not. I guess, it's, I guess we shouldn't say that it's a straightforward murder mystery because it's certainly not. No. A straightforward murder mystery. But it is. it does have those elements. But then I was like, she loves Downton Abbey. Um, the Gilded Age, I think, was another show that you've watched. I I think there's, there's maybe not the perfect lineage to this, but I think even something like The Crown, you know, there are definitely elements here of that where it's sort of like, we're going to capture how the British upper class yeah. operate. And I know that that is something that you're very much into. And so... For Gosford Park, I just love this movie, and I love Robert Altman, and so to be like, yeah, watch this weird Robert Altman movie <laughs> because it's tangentially related to oh, okay, Go- uh, Downton Abbey. I was like, yeah, I think she'll enjoy this. So this is more of a movie, a movie education for me rather than. <laughs> I don't know about education, but it was sort of like I so rare. I was so rarely get to probably recommend robert altman movies okay. especially to you that i was like nah i, I gotta take take I gotta the take chance, chance. Okay. i gotta take this opportunity <laughs> to finally do one and yeah like the the murder mystery in this is it's sort of an afterthought really yeah like it only shows up about an hour into the movie and they've the movie is two hours long just over two hours it takes them an hour and a half to get to the murder yeah. and then they wrap it up in 30 minutes so at the end of the movie, when we watched it last night, I was just like, that's it? Like, <laughs> Well, so, yes, like, they do wrap it up that quickly. The The inspector thinks it is something else, though. Like, the yeah. inspector who eventually comes in to, to solve the murder yeah. does think it's something else. And then it's really the movie is like, no, it's actually this thing over here. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I just really enjoy, like, when a movie like this comes along... And sort of makes the upper class, the British upper class, look like losers. Because I really don't care about them. Yeah, you don't. Whatsoever. And so, like, I, I guess in, like another recent example is, like, did you see the recent adaptation of Emma? Yes. Yeah, it's like that, again, where it's like, oh, all these people are, they're idiots. Like, they're all losers. And I think in Gosford Park, you certainly get that sense where it's like, with the exception of one or two of them, they're all broke. They're all desperate. They're all begging for like 
they're money. All, yeah, they're or, all trying to get with each other. and Yeah, like, like they're, yeah, just, they're all just trying to be like, you know, I'm going to marry this person because they're rich and I have literally no money left. And sort of like the only people with their lives together seem to be the downstairs crowd. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was sort of like, well, that's cool. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I really enjoy Gosford Park. So, and it's it's maybe like the only movie or TV show about this whole system that I can actually watch that I can stomach <laughs> yeah like all the other ones are sort of like now nah, this is too much for me it almost reminded me of playing the game clue yeah the whole time we were sitting there we were watching it I was kind of like well like who are they gonna kill because I knew there was a murder at the end of it I was like who are they gonna kill and I was like well is it gonna be the main guy is it gonna be a servant is it gonna be this and then they show you various things so like at one point, they keep showing you bottles of poison, and poison seems to be all over the house. Okay, well, is it going to be poison that does it? Oh, a knife goes missing. Oh, maybe it's the knife. And I felt like I was playing Clue last night, being like, does it happen in the library with a gun? Does it happen in the kitchen with poison? Like, what happens? Well, I think, like, I guess we're, we're downplaying the murder mystery, but, like, it does run throughout. Like, there are enough, I think, they're maybe not clues because the movie doesn't start with the murder, but they're clues to how and who will eventually be murdered later on. Where it's sort of like, there is a lot in the dialogue of like, this character is unhappy. And then like you're saying, like this knife goes missing. And then like, oh, there's literally poison in every room of this house. And they use poison to polish the, the, watches. the, the watches and the silverware and things. Like that. And sort of like, we introduce half the cast bringing in guns yeah and you're sort of like oh like you know there are enough things here where your mind maybe should be turning about like how is this going to be done and who is it going to be done to um whereas maybe the movie is less interested in who does the murder it's certainly more interested in you know, making you think about and investigate how it's going to be done and, and who it's going to be done to i guess yeah i will say once we were getting closer to the end and like you know the murder is going to happen in the next kind of two or three minutes, that it does a good job at spreading out the cast, spreading out the characters. So various people leave the room, various people go off and do their own thing. So you are sitting there being like, okay, well, it could be any number of these people now who either A, get murdered or are the murderer. So that was interesting. I ended up re-watching it this morning. Because I was like, I need a second watch. I need to, A, wrap my head around all of the characters and the relationship between all of them. I found it, the upstairs cast, they do it really quickly or kind of as a second afterthought of explaining the relationship between everybody. Yeah, I had to read the Wikipedia, <laughs> the Wikipedia page to figure out, especially their how they're all related to yeah, each other. Yeah, I kind of, I couldn't figure out if people were sisters or cousins or at one point we thought somebody was a like a son of the main man but it's not it's actually his daughter's boyfriend so like those are the two that show up late <laughs> yeah yeah the whole movie i was like wait who are these two and like how do they factor in yeah. at all but yeah i don't know for for me though I, I totally understand where you're coming from and like i said i had to read read the wikipedia page to figure it all out but I think like it's it's those hints at the relationship that just like give the movie more depth mm -hmm. because 
some of the things in the movie are certainly misdirections. Like you were saying, like just before the murder happens, five or six characters all all walk off on their own. And you're sort of like, oh, like any one of these guys could be the murderer and any one of them could be the murderee. Yeah. But at the same time, there are lots of things in the movie where you're just like, oh, that's, that's literally just there as like, I don't know, I don't want to say filler, but like as filler, where it's sort of like, oh, this, this has nothing to do with the murder mystery at all. Yeah. But like, these are still real people. These are still real characters. So like, they have lives. And so you get the sense of like, there are definitely relationships between the downstairs crowd where you're sort of like, are they, are they together? Are they, you know, are these two people in a relationship because of the way that they're talking, carrying on? But then like, Ultimately, it doesn't necessarily matter if they are or they aren't because their relationship doesn't necessarily play into the murder part of the yeah. story. It's just there. Yeah. It's just to make these characters feel more like real people. Yeah. So for the murder, I guess for the murder mystery, were you able to put pieces together beforehand? Because like we're saying, because the murder comes so late in the movie, or I guess like in the middle of the movie more or less... It does a lot of things of being like, here's a clue, but you only know it's a clue in hindsight. You don't necessarily know it's a clue before the murder, but after the murder happens, and especially after the reveal happens, then you can go back and sort of say, oh, that that was a clue. That was something I should have been paying attention to. I would say last night, not so much. And I think that's why when the movie finished, I sat there and I was like, I am so confused i don't understand how this all worked i don't know why kieran's picked this movie other than it's the downton abbey guy i definitely knew i needed a second watch and that's why i got up this morning and watched it for a second time within 12 hours because i was like clearly i'm missing things so the second watch i was able to actually be like oh okay when they notice that the knife is missing he's in the background of that scene oh when he's walking into the room at the time he does the murder, the dog doesn't react to him. The dog's not barking, not drawing any attention. That's because he's been petting the dog the day before and giving it food. The Denton? Denton? Henry Denton? Yeah. Yeah. The Denton character. I remember watching, when we watched the last night, there's a scene and you see the back of his pants and I was like, oh, weird, it says Fox film or whatever. Only now today, re-watching it, I was like, oh, it's because they've dressed him up they're like trying to make him a valid but he's not he's an actor and it's property of fox film because they took it from the department the costume department he he's a he's a great example of sort of like what we're saying in terms of like sometimes this movie just has things that actually don't really matter at all um but it's only again in hindsight it's only once you've finished the movie that you you realize that and like his whole character is a perfect example of that where it's like he is acting so weird and so shifty through the first 90 minutes that you're sort of like, this guy is definitely, he's off. There's something wrong with this guy. But then it's only once you finish the movie, you're sort of like, oh, like he was, he was just he was trying to do research. For, yeah, he was he studying was doing, for. Yeah, he was just doing research for a future movie role. And like everything that he was doing had nothing to do with anything of the murder. Yeah. So it's sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so like some of his other ones, when you're first introduced to the american people who are coming for the weekend the one guy is like oh let me introduce you to mr wiseman and then he gets introduced 
but you can see the Denton character behind kind of going to lean forward and almost like tipping his hat to be like, hi, like, and he kind of gives him the look of like, no, like, we're not introducing you. You're supposed to kind of be a servant. And then, yeah, he just kind of seems to be watching everybody else do their jobs. And everybody's like, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you here? You're not supposed to be in the kitchen and things. And another time he's leaving, he's the valet to Mr. Wiseman, apparently. Um, and he's leaving the room and Wiseman's like, well, don't forget my clothes because otherwise they'll think you don't care. And when we watched it last night, we thought it was they were in a relationship. And that's so like he didn't think of taking the clothes, but it's because he's not actually a valid. So he wouldn't know to take the clothes. I think you you might also be a little bit right about the relationship. I think they like, are in a relationship. I, yeah, I think I get the sense from uh, Henry Denton that he's a very like opportunistic yeah. person and like is happy and willing to do whatever he needs to do to get ahead. And so I do think that there is certainly a heavy implication that he is in a relationship with Weissman, the film producer. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, like, you know, he's more than happy to get into bed with Lady Sylvia. Yeah. Because, you know, why not? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, what's the worst that can happen sort of thing. So I... I, I and tries think... his moves on Mary. That that <laughs> one, yeah. I don't know. Because, like, she is a downstairser. So, yeah. like, I don't necessarily know why he'd be after that. Except the fact that, like, Kelly McDonald's is a good-looking lady. But... Um, I did like that he has this, uh, like preposterous Scottish accent Yeah, and she is the one to be like, he's not from Scotland. Yeah. Like he, he's not from any Scotland <laughs> I've heard of because she is Scottish. And so like, yeah, okay. Like she would know. Yeah. Um, I guess like, you know, we can, we can get into the cast because I think for people listening to this podcast and haven't checked out this movie, like this cast is going to be, I think one of the selling features to why you should check out this movie. And so I think it's just one of the greatest casts in a movie ever. Yeah. And it never gets talked about. Yeah. So after watching, I looked into the movie a bit more and it was nominated for Oscars in 2001 and nominated for a few different areas. It only won for writing, but a lot of the cast or a few of the cast did get nominated for supporting actors and lead actors and things like that. So like how it's never kind of come across my screen before i don't know how nobody else that i know who are interested in this world has ever told me about it i don't know but yeah well, that's why you have me <laughs> yes for for these weird <laughs> recommendations but like oh, let's just run through it so we've got maggie smith who eventually then comes back for downton abbey and more or less i think plays the same character pretty much yeah, yeah. like uh, different names but i think it's the same vibe from yeah what I understand. so what mm, the research i have done afterwards Downton Abbey was originally supposed to be a spin-off of Gosford Park. Right. That makes sense. They were going to kind of spin off on it and then they just decided no, we'll just do a standalone our own thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Maggie Smith, Helen Mirren, who people have to remember, Michael Gambon, literally Dumbledore. Yeah. Charles Dance from Game of Thrones, Clive Owen, whatever happened to him, I'm not really sure, but at this time he was like the next big thing. He probably should have been James Bond. Kelly McDonald, like we said, Kristen Scott Thomas, Emily Watson, Stephen Fry, and then like a whole host of other people. Tom Hollander's in it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the guy who plays Henry Denton is uh, Ryan Philippi. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, watching it again the other night, I was sort of like, 
oh, is he Scottish? Because he can't pull this off. Yeah. And then when he's not Scottish, you're like, oh, thank God. You know, like, and Ryan Philippi was probably thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. But yeah, like it is, it is an absolutely incredible cast of characters. Um, I just want like, do you, did you have a favorite performance? Was there anyone who did stand out to you? Um, I will say watching the trailer, the biggest selling point, the minute Maggie Smith's face appeared, Chris looked at me and he's like, you're picking this one. And I was like, yes, I'm picking this one. Um, so Maggie Smith is always a performance for me. I found in Downton Abbey, they gave her better one-liners and they gave, she's a better character in Downton Abbey than she is in this one. But favorite performance for this one, I really enjoyed Helen Marin's character. So she's the housekeeper. She's like, she like runs the house. She's the run. Yeah, yeah. She runs the house. She would be like a, the head the of the, one. yeah, she would be the head woman, like in charge of all the women staff there. Um, she was great. And then probably the second half, I really enjoyed the guy that plays the butler. Oh, Alan Bates? Yeah. <laughs> Cause he gets drunk at one point and him drunk was kind of really funny to watch. And then him hung over the next day was also really entertaining. <laughs> Again, like another, another character where you find out that he has a criminal background. He has a criminal history. And you're sort of like, oh, okay. And then you find out what it's actually for. for. And you're just like, oh, like it's literally just in there to make him more rounded. To yeah. And like he, his nervousness in the second half of the movie is not because they think he's going to be found out for the murderer because he's not the murderer, but that he thinks he's going to be found out for having a criminal record and yeah. therefore let go from this position that is his whole life. Yeah. And you're sort of like, oh, like this is just, this is an interesting spin on these murder mystery things. I think for, for me, I, I just love Stephen Fry. So when he shows up as the like bumbling Clouseau like yeah. inspector, where you're just like, a nobody takes him serious, but then he also like just doesn't, doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know what to do uh, in this murder. You're sort of like, oh, this is a great you know coming together of for for the character. Yeah. Um, the policeman that comes with them trying to point out things. Yeah. Like the yeah. broken coffee cup, and he's like, yeah, no, don't yeah, worry, like shut they'll up. Shut <laughs> up. somebody will clean it. It's like, oh, it's so that's so great. That's so great. Like, like he comes in with all this authority because he's an inspector, but yeah. he comes into this house and nobody from the upstairs crowd gives a shit about him. Yeah. And, you know. And he doesn't give a shit about the servants. He doesn't give a shit about the servants. So. He doesn't look into them at all. But yeah, I, I think that was great. I also just, I like, just love Bob Balladin as like a person. And so he plays Weissman. Oh, okay. And so yeah. I just love all the things of like, he's a Hollywood, like a big shot Hollywood producer. And he comes to sit at this table and everyone around the table is just like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, he's talking on the phone and they're like, yeah, I can't be like, you know, he's like some flop shop in yeah. Marseille or whatever. And you're just like, good Lord. Like, you know, the, the guy is probably the most famous person at the table here. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just love Bob Balladin. So I think he's a great, he's a great performer. Apparently the whole story was his idea. Oh, okay. So like he... I think it, in one of the credits at the beginning, it was like inspired by a story from Bob Balladin and Robert Altman. I think they got together and they decided to make a murder mystery from the perspective of the servants in a big sort of estate house. Oh, okay. And then they went off and got, uh, was Julian Fellows is yeah. the guy? Yeah. They went off and got him to, to write. But I think Bob Balladin again found him or like he was the one who was like, I think this guy can do it. Oh, cool. And so he brought him on board. And so... I just love the like 
the meta-ness of Bob Baladin being like, yeah, my next movie is about a murder mystery in a big country estate house. And, you know, he's in literally in the middle of a murder mystery in a big country estate house. I will say that scene. And then they ask, oh, who, who, who does who, it? Who, who done it basically. Yeah. And he's like, well, I won't tell you cause it'll ruin the movie. I did have a fear at the end of this movie that they weren't going to explain who murdered it so that you were kind of like living his movie almost. And I was going to be like, nope, I need to know who does this. I think that would have been too much. I, I agree. I don't think I would have enjoyed that as, yeah. an, as an ending. I enjoy that in the sense of this movie being a little bit of a mirror to what he's researching. But I, I agree. I We need to know. Yeah. We need to know. If you had left this movie not knowing who or why the murder eventually happened, then you're sort of like, what's the point? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? But so like, so speaking of that, did the final reveal, were you satisfied by it? Did it take you by surprise? Were like, what were your sort of thoughts about that? It did take me by surprise. Cause I honestly, on the first watch had no idea. I didn't know who did it. I had kind of started to question near the end so when he's handed his glass of whiskey and he kind of makes a face i was like oh maybe something was weird there and so they kind of do a double reveal like they i guess did in da vinci code you get one reveal and then a couple minutes later you get kind of the actual reveal of it all so i was surprised and i will say i was satisfied watching it the second time you can see more of the clues and more of them kind of trying to point you in the direction of like, it's going to be this person. Like just keep watching, like believe us. <laughs> I think with this movie, there are so many big name actors and big name performers. It doesn't fall into the problem that angels and demons had with you and McGregor, where it's like, he's literally the only other one. Yeah. There's Tom Hanks and then you and McGregor. So like you and McGregor has to be involved in this somehow. But because there's literally 15 yeah. big actors, you are sort of like, I don't know. Like, there are definitely people in roles here that do not matter. Yeah. But they're here either because they wanted to work with Robert Altman or because, you know, the, the script was fun or the character was good. But it's also in service of, like, if we stuff so many actors into this movie that, that the audience knows, then they cannot guess yeah. who would eventually will be. A die and B be the murderer because there's too many to choose from. Yeah. So I think I think in this it works. Whereas in sometimes in movies where you get big actors, you're you're sort of like, okay, well, how does this person factor in? Because I know that they eventually do. Yeah. Is there any sort of last things you wanted to say about uh Gosford Park? Any any sort of things that you enjoyed or any any moments or scenes? Just because I love not even this time period, but I guess the exploring of this cast system it was fun to watch it and see the servants arriving and being introduced as mr weissman and um i can't think of how you say meg smith's character in his name oh Tr it's like trenchin or, or something so, yeah trenchin or something and then there's a stock bridge and and, and yeah. them being like well no my name is park and or my name's this and them being like nope not here not here <laughs> Yeah, not this weekend. <laughs> not this weekend. You're this. The exploring of, um, once again, it's Maggie Smith's character who talks about it. Her being like, well, I'll wake up and I'll change into my tweed. Because I know 
you had an outfit to go out walking. You had an outfit for shooting. You had an outfit for lunch. You had an outfit for dinner. Like I think what, what, she, she said something about like, you know, I can't wear that shirt for outdoor sports because it's like too loud or something. You you always wear too warm. Yeah, you always wear muted this because yeah. it's outdoors, and you're like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, sure. Like I, I guess I'll remember that. And so she forces her to wash it that night, and then the next morning she wakes up and she's like, actually, I'll wear that one because it's warmer than. Yeah. The one that you just watched last that, night. <laughs> that is like the classic moment in these movies where I just like, God damn it. And like, I get, I understand that these are like just actors playing characters, but I get so infuriated at the way that they treat everybody that I'm just like, I just get filled with rage. Yeah. And it's, it's in those moments. The one scene that I did not like is I didn't realize at the end of the movie, they don't have a tag saying no animals are harmed in this. Yeah. Because Sylvia kicks a dog at one point, and then they actually shoot the pheasants. Yeah. So that was a real shoot. That was a real shoot, and it goes on for a while. <laughs> so yeah. that surprised me because yeah. I was reading and out some of the trivia last or this morning. So any, any, any pheasant fans listening to this, don't. Yeah, yeah, this is maybe not the movie for you because oh boy, <laughs> there are moments. I I also surprised myself with how much I enjoyed the like hierarchies. Of the like the hierarchy of the upstairs crowd and then the hierarchy of the downstairs crowd where it's sort of like Alan Bates as the butler does look down his nose at somebody who just somebody who just works in the kitchen. Yep. Because he is higher than they are, even though they're both downstairs. Yeah. And so I was sort of like, oh, that is, you know. But it's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting for the hierarchy in the basement as well. The scene they're having dinner at one point, and it is just as important where the servants sit. Yes. In yes. relation than it does upstairs. So the fact that Kelly McDonald or Kelly McDonald uh, character is sitting halfway down the table, he's like, "No, no, you have to sit up here beside me because your you're, employer, you're, yeah, yeah, outranks everybody else." And she's like, "Well, no, I'm cool here." He's like, "No, like doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You have to sit up here." And that same conversation had happened upstairs. Um, the Michael Gambon was, "Well, I don't want to sit beside." the Maggie Smith character, and she's like, doesn't matter. She's the highest ranking person in the house. She sits beside you. So it's fun to see the mirror between them. But yeah, uh, that has always interested me, and that's why I really enjoyed Downton Abbey as well. The downstairs staff is nothing to the upstairs oh, characters. No. Yeah, They walk through, they talk about whatever they want to talk about, and it's like, well, there's nobody else here. And it's like, no, you're in a room full of servants. Like, they are here. <laughs> I did, but yeah. then the servants go downstairs and talk about the upstairs people yeah, yeah. as if they as don't. If they're yeah, idiots, which <laughs> they mostly are. But yeah, no, there there is that moment early on where I think there's two of the upstairs crowd talking, and Richardy e., Richardy e. Grant didn't mention him oh, in, yeah. in the cast breakdown. Richardy e. Grant is in this movie. He walks through, and they're just like, "How dare you sneak up on us?" And he's like, "He's literally just walking." Through yeah, the room. like <laughs> you know, the guy has to get from point A to point B. Like, yeah. give him a break. But it's like, God damn it. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I unfortunately think that me and you, if we were in this time, we would be the downstairs. Crowd. Oh, yeah. Uh, so maybe that's another reason why I don't <laughs> like these things. But uh, yeah, it did not look like a fun time. So. Well, that being said, um, mom did tell me today that she would have gone pheasant shooting or she would have gone shooting. So maybe we would have been lucky and maybe not been totally downstairs, but. Like we might have and a halfway point. Yeah. Just maybe. on the stairs, maybe. Maybe. Maybe we're an outside crowd. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> to like sort of wrap things up here, and, and I think 
um, sort of the last thing I wanted to ask you is like, obviously the Da Vinci Code is not a whodunit. There is a whodunit element to the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. And Gosford Park is certainly a sort of twist on a whodunit. But we're we're in sort of a renaissance for these murder mysteries. And so I'm wondering, like, are there any that you're looking forward to for the rest of the year? So I was thinking about it. I wondered if I had given either you this movie or if I had given you Knives Out, would you have given me the opposite? Because I would say Knives Out is a very similar style and whodunit in comparison or likewise to this one. So the new one, um, Glass Onion or... That's the second one coming that, out. Yeah. yeah. So I'm excited for that one because I really enjoyed Knives Out. I enjoyed its twist. So that's probably one I'm going to keep my eyes open for. If you're into the murder mystery thing, like, have you seen Clue? I don't think I have, yeah. actually. So you need to go see Clue <laughs> because Clue is so much fun. Clue would be a, a great sort of Sunday afternoon watch, really. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, even probably appropriate for Briar. Who knows? So I'm wondering... Your first time watching Gosford Park, did you figure it out? Can you remember? Or uh, were you surprised? The first time, yeah. Because the, the first time I watched this, like when did this come out? 2001. One. Yeah, I think the first time I would have watched this, I was probably 14 or 15. Like I would have been, I would have been maybe a year or two after this had come out. Okay. Um, so I was pretty young. And so I didn't necessarily have a relationship with any of these actors in the way that I do now. Where it's like I've watched so many of their movies at this point. So I think there was definitely parts of me where you get like there are words or there are places sort of continually repeated throughout the first 90 minutes of this movie where you're sort of like, that's the second or third time that this has come up. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I need to pay attention to that. And so I, I do remember not figuring out, but sort of being like, I think this person maybe did the stabbing. Cause okay. I guess like it's maybe a bit too late to say, but we see the stabbing, but by that stage, the murder has already happened. Yeah. We think the stabbing is the murder until we find out 30 minutes later that yeah. that's not the case yeah. whatsoever. And so I think the first time I watched the movie, I had an idea of who did the stabbing. But then when you ultimately find out that the stabbing didn't matter at all, yeah. that was that was the surprising, like, oh, didn't see that one coming. Um, and then especially who did it. I was sort of like, yeah. who, I don't know who that is. Um, so yeah, like for me, it definitely worked. And I, I just think I've gone back now. We didn't actually talk all that much about Robert Altman. Um, the only question I have really for him, for you is like, he's quite famous for this style of audio that he captures on set where it's a lot of like overlapping dialogue and lots and lots of conversations happening at the exact same time. Yeah. And I love that because I think that I was more true to life, especially in these settings where it's like, yeah, there's going to be about 10 different conversations and, you know, you'll be having this one over here, but you'll hear the one behind you. But I have heard that some people get confused by that or get lost in the shuffle of like, what should I be paying attention to? And so I was wondering, like, did, did you find that? So I actually didn't mind it. Um, what I would probably be in the same line as you. It kind of makes it a little bit more real for me. It's almost as if this actually did happen and they just happened to be recording it at the same time. I did in my thing. So typically after movies, I always go on to IMDb and look at the trivia because it gives you a bit more insight sometimes. So I did read that he tended to have two cameras rolling because he wants the actors to just 
be a bit more natural about everything. Just like play, yeah. Yeah. So, and he, I think they even said he doesn't read the script. He makes sure that the script supervisor, that whatever is needs, like the keywords that you were saying or the repeat things, that that is being said and he's capturing that. But he also kind of doesn't want to be influenced on, well, this is what's supposed to be the next line and this is what's supposed to happen next. And he does like to have that overlapping the overlapping dialogue. So yeah, I think the way that he did it, it does feel a little bit more natural. Like I said, it kind of, it feels like it's happening and they just happen to have cameras on and recording it live, I guess. Well, that's good. Yeah, maybe you can check out some more Robert yeah. Altman movies. <laughs> I, 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 that was the part of the movie where I was sort of like, I don't think she's going to like this. So I'm, I'm quite pleased that you actually did enjoy <laughs> yeah. that aspect. Cause that, that is a pretty common criticism of his stuff where people are sort of like, I don't know what I should be paying attention to because there's about 10 different conversations happening. I think for this one, it works. Maybe if I watch another one of his, maybe it won't work in the next one, but because it's about a house party, it like it works. Cause like you said, you know, me and you would be having a conversation, but the other two guests who happen to be sitting beside us won't be a part of our conversation. Yeah, they would be own. having their own. Yeah. I guess we can, we can sort of start to wrap it up there. And so, you know, thanks for coming on and half talking about murder mysteries, half talking about the issues with religion. Do you think that Briar will eventually be watching either of these, any of these movies? Probably. I would. I would yeah, watch Gosford, Gosford Park. Park? Yeah. yeah, I would watch Gosford Park again. Um, keep like her, I, keep her away from the religious stuff, though. Yeah, like I said, I didn't initially understand why it was your pick. If it was your pick because it's a Downton Abbey style one, that works for me too. So that was like. 98% of the reason the the other 2% was like, oh, there's a murder mystery. Yeah. But it was sort of just like, I think she's just going to enjoy the movie. Yeah. Because you just want to keep, knows, she knows all these people. You just want to keep your positive recommendations up rather than have more negative ones. I think. Right. I have like, I won't lie. I've enjoyed when people have come on and been like, I didn't like the movie. I haven't done too many in person with people. So they might not understand this, but like I make all my notes ahead of time. And so I am kind of guessing yeah. when I make my notes and the couple times that people have come on and been like, yeah, no, this movie sucked. All of my notes are like, so what'd you like about it? And so <laughs> I do have to do then do those episodes kind of on the fly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if I can, if I can play to what I know you already like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's just going to make my life a whole lot easier. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I went into this, assuming you would like it yeah <laughs> uh on the whole and then assuming like oh she might not like this or that and that's fine but on the whole i was like i think i think she's this is kind of in her pocket so yeah, yeah. well thank you kate for coming back on and doing this and um i think uh there, there is going to be another future mailbag episode so we'll, we'll have to get you back on to ask those questions because happy to do it <laughs> yeah uh, i'm not doing that people don't want to listen to me for that much so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have you back on for that. And, and I look forward to, you know, if, if you're looking forward to introducing Briar to some movies, I'm definitely looking forward <laughs> to introducing Briar to some movies. So that'll be fun. Anyone out there, you know, thank you so much for listening. And I will be back next week with another guest, another movie and another recommendation. So I will see everybody next week. Mm-hmm.